I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... The poorer the community is, the more the hurdles there are. Why is that? Um, what the CDFI fund does is it it gives money to organizations, and it funds a business plan. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm Mark Walsh, your host. Today, we're joined by Annie Donovan, EVP and COO of LISC, Local Initiative Support Corporation. She and I talk about CDFIs. Yeah, another government acronym, I know. But actually, it's not the government doing this. It's organizations that invest in small businesses in places that don't normally get capital, and it really works. An amazing set of organizations you'll want to learn more about. She also talks about impact investment. That's a term you hear all the time, and no one knows what the hell it means. But she actually helps us figure out what it means to have an investment that has social impact. And lastly, she has some recommendations for how the government might actually help both of those things happen. And you'll be surprised at her recommendation. So here's our conversation. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Mark. So LISC, a tough, a tough acronym, Local Initiative Support Corporation. But it sounds like the overlap of LISC is very, very uh, nicely aligned with what many saw and see and hopefully uh, enjoy and experience from the Small Business Administration in the federal government. Am I right? Yes, I think you are right in this way. What the Small Business Administration is trying to do is, in the end, get resources to small businesses that are otherwise not served well enough by banks. Uh, so if, if banks were left alone, uh, would the capital flow to those small businesses? Uh, let me answer that one. We all know the answer is rarely. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what LISC does is our mission is around communities. We're a community development organization and we're a community development financial institution. And our whole reason to exist is because the money doesn't flow to all places equally. And so we're there to intermediate. We're there as a bridge to capital. And we design what we do, just like the SBA does. We have to think about what are the levers that need to be pulled? What are the incentives that need to be put in place? What are the the handholds, the guarantees, the credit enhancement, the juice that needs to be put into the system to get capital to flow? So CDFI. Um, yes. In my time in government, that was, you know, once again, another acronym because we all had to learn acronyms. What does it mean? What Any history on where they came from? How many sure. are there? What, I know you're very involved with sort of the organization that gathers them all together. Walk us through that. Sure. And as you know, I served for four years as the director of the CDFI fund inside Treasury and worked very closely with SBA in that role. So there are a little over a thousand certified CDFIs. Wow. Hello. Jeez. Yeah, it's I had a, no idea. It's an infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, and it runs alongside the financial sector. Um, and it helps bridge the resources from banks and other investors who are trying to get to the communities that are underserved. So it's the perfect example of public private partnership. You know, the one thing that you should know about CDFIs is that they have a great diversity in terms of their organization organizational form. Mm-hmm. So some CDFIs are regulated banks. Some CDFIs are regulated credit unions. 
Many CDFIs are nonprofit loan funds. Um, we have venture venture capital funds. We have fintechs that are now CDFIs. All of the above. All of the above. And that's what's beautiful about the model is that it's it's not fixed on a business model. Yeah. It's fixed on a, an impact objective. So and there are lots of ways to get there. I, I, let me just logistically, in my short, glorious time in this small business administration, yes. I obviously saw the 7A program, yes. which would back up a loan that a local bank would give to a business that maybe its risk profile was too high for the bank, yes, and, and backed it up at cents on the dollar, 85 or whatever the ratio was. Do CDFIs do similar things? Do they back up a bank's investment, or are they a sure. source of capital themselves? Yeah. Or both? This is what I love about CDFIs. There's so much innovation. I mean, we are engines of innovation, right? So we'll look at it a deal and we'll say, what is, what's the gap? What's preventing this from happening? And um, yeah, we do, uh, we do, we'll do guarantees. We'll, we'll put together funds that stack capital um, in a way that, you know, it looks a lot like um, financial engineering that you see on Wall Street, right? But what we do is we bring in the social investor who's willing to take a greater risk um, and because they want the, the social return. Mm-hmm. So some investors come in for social return and um, some investors don't need a they need nothing but the social return. Um, and we love them because they're willing to put their capital at risk. And we put that money in front of the banker's money and that cushions it. So, you know, if the loan to value is too high, we bring it down that way so that the senior investor, the bank or whoever the uh, senior investor is, is taking we, – we make the product look fit their risk profile, yeah. right? So we, it can go through their credit committee. So social investor. Yes. I think, you know, social impact, social investor, as I'm sure you know, these are – to me, they're, they're sort of terms that are being stretched like a rubber sheet across a sure. wide variety of things. Absolutely. What does that mean to you at LISC? Okay. So I think of social investment or some call it impact investment, um, and that's a, that's a term that's come into use. So let, let me go with the, the impact investor. Okay. You're right. The range is very, very wide. And some on, on one end of the range is the investor that just wants to make a return, do well and do good at the same time. And there's no trade off. And on that end of the spectrum, that's just a matter of information asymmetry. Like you didn't realize you could make a return on, you know, helping a community center or something like that. right? Yeah. Or like a socially responsible business like, you know, Warby Parker or, you know, Ben and Jerry's was the pioneer there, right? And then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is where groups like, you know, my career has been in the CDFI sector, where there actually may be a trade-off, you know, or the the risk profile doesn't look the same. Now, when you say trade-off, you mean the yield and the investment may be below market rate because it has a higher purpose? Their well, interpretation it's, or not? Let's put it this way. If you're doing if you're investing in affordable housing, then there's not the same return on investment, right? Because the there's not an upside to affordable housing. You can't make it affordable and have an upside. Got it. Financial upside. A financial upside. But there's a social upside. There's which a is social the point. upside. Got That's it. the point. You yeah. know, we do we want our population to be fully housed? Yes, we do. And if we do, and do we want banks to invest in that? Yes, but they're not going to, you know, they have to return 
capital to their shareholders. They have to meet their regulators, you know, requirements and so forth. So we kind of have to do it inside that box. Then how do you, and that's where, that's where the public sector comes in because we're funding, we're financing a public good. Um, and in the nonprofit world, you know, we're trying to intermediate all those, we're trying to bring all those players together so that everybody gets what they need and we figure out, we innovate around gap filling to get the capital flowing. You can't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need, as the Rolling Stones once said. But this complexity of desire for high yield, desire for social value, that tension seems to be more highlighted today than I think in many, many, many other decades before you and I are here today, number one. But the question to me is, you mentioned earlier public-private partnership. Right. It seems like your and your teammates are seeing really good examples of that. And I think sometimes people attack it as, oh, that doesn't work. The government's too big and bloated. But you're seeing really good examples of it. What are some, if not individual stories, but some other ways that you're seeing public-private partnerships do good and do well and deliver return? Well, let me give you some examples of what happens with CDFIs and the CDFI fund. So the CDFI fund started with one program, um, or two programs actually, but basically giving financial assistance to community development financial institutions that were certified. So you have to be certified, and and that means 60% of your assets have to be invested in target communities. And those are low-income communities, distressed places, high poverty, persistent poverty. So, you know, there's a there's a litmus test there that has to be real. In that program, CDFIs will take $1 of federal money and they'll leverage it. They leverage it 12 times. Hello. Wow. Yeah. And that's in the financial assistance program. And then because that program was successful and it enjoyed bipartisan success, because guess what? This model works no matter your community. And when I was in uh, the director of the CDFI fund, I traveled 33 miles north of the Arctic Circle and found deals working. I went to the border to Brownsville, Texas. I've and, been to Brownsville. Okay, those and, are the two. And I get found it. it working. Yeah. It works in the middle of New York City, it works in rural Kentucky. So, um, and it, it has, there's a political appeal to it, right? Because of course. When, when we would go up to the hill, and we do still do this now at LISC, you show a lawmaker the map, and there's nothing they understand better than their backyard, right? Registered voters. And they look at that, and sometimes, once I was uh, visiting a, a congressman from Missouri, and he looked at the map, and he said, I know, I know, that, I know that business. I know their family. You know, like, and he talked yeah. about... That family, he, he that was easy to translate. Yeah. That's just one program. So the New Markets Tax Credit Program came along. So let me yeah. let me stop because, yeah, the New Markets, I mean, there's there's um, there's lots of arrows in the quiver, so to speak. Yes. I think we, you and I have both, certainly you're living it, I saw in my time. Public-private partnerships, when they work, are fascinating. But your story of showing it to, the, to that, that congressperson and that person saying, oh, I know that. I think the government's not a great marketer. It's tell not. Me, tell me how your organization or other third-party organizations actually add real energy to the marketing to the people that allocate the funds, which is called the United States Congress and Senate. Yes. So <clears throat> when I was at the CDFI fund, staff was continuously trying to say, how do we how do we get CDFIs to be a household name? Right. If you look at the 
private sector and how they do it, here's how they do it. They spend gobs of money. And we don't have gobs of money. Our gobs of money need to go out into community. So so that's real, right? But I'll tell you one thing that happened during the pandemic that's been very exciting to us at LISC. And that is uh, we've had more corporate partners come in. So, you know, we've mastered the public, private, right, government, banks. But here comes corporate America. Love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, we so the partners that we brought in, one of them is Verizon. Verizon was first in. They gave us a two and a half million dollar grant. They liked what they were seeing. They said, we're going to make it five. We ended up in the end doing almost 18 million wow. in small business grants um, to for relief during the and they, they came in in April of 2020 right away. Right. We want to be there. And. Not only that, Verizon ran um, during the the early days of the pandemic when everybody was in lockdown. They ran concerts, and every week they had concerts, and the they raised money from those concerts for this fund. Wow! And people could tweet, and if they every time they tweeted, another ten bucks went into the tiller. I love the marketing. We're going to talk more about Verizon and other partnerships that help that get those gobs of money, gobs of dollars uh, in, into marketing. <laughs> But we're going to take a break first. Annie is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of LISC, L-I-S-C, which stands for Local Initiatives Support Corporation. We'll have more conversation with her after this break. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say... Hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. taking a break to discuss some ways you might become a little more involved with what's working in Washington. There's several ways. Number one, you could rate us, whether you're listening on on Federal News Network or perhaps on a podcast. Take a moment to rate us positively or negatively. We'd love to hear from you. Secondly, our audience is an obvious one. Folks that care about Washington, D.C. and the environs. Folks that care about the Federal News Network. Folks that care about our nation. If you'd like to have your message heard by that kind of audience, be sure to contact us for sponsorship opportunities. You can email me directly at walsh at AOL.com. That's W-A-L-S-H at AOL.com. Yes, it's a dated email address, but it still works. Lastly, we'd like to hear of guests that you think would be great for this show. If there's someone you believe would be a wonderful partner for me on what's working in Washington, be sure to email that same address with the person's name and what you think they'd be good at discussing with me. It's what's working in Washington. 
Our conversation continues on what's working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, and we're excited to be joined today by Annie Donovan. Annie is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of LISC, L-I-S-C, Local Initiatives Support Corporation, a fascinating group of teammates with offices all over the United States, helping generate investment and capital access for places that don't normally get it. Annie, once again, great to have you with us. Thank you. So we were talking about kind of marketing uh, social impact investing, why a lot of people don't see and know all the structures that are doing that. And you were talking about some of the public-private partnerships, particularly with corporations that yes. have, I love your term, gobs of money, to maybe, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe promote the good things that are happening. And you mentioned Verizon specifically. Let's drill down on that partnership. H- how did you get that started or you and your teammates get that started? So it was quite opportunistic. Um, Verizon came to us through a contact on our staff, and they knew a little bit about what we did. And they said to us, can you help us get to small businesses? We're concerned about what's going to happen in this pandemic to the small businesses in our communities. So we co-designed, and we said what is needed right now is relief. Yeah. So this pandemic, we don't know what's ahead of us, but we know the flow of disaster. And disaster is usually there's a need for relief, there's a need for recovery, and then there's a resilience phase. How do we, you know... Three R's. Three like R's. It. Yeah. Yep. And so um, so we designed a program, and it started at $2.5 million. And uh, we made uh, grants directly to small businesses, and we did it in such a way that we prioritized businesses that were BIPOC-owned, uh, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, and women-owned. We favored low-income census tracts. We ended up, so when you when you put those factors together, you end up getting to the mom-and-pop businesses yeah. that are community-serving and the most vulnerable. Well, it, it seems like a natural partnership because Verizon wants to make sure they can keep paying their Verizon bill. Exactly. I, mean, I hate to be cynical, but I mean, there's there is a hand in glove natural that's okay. outcome. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, and then um, they liked what they saw there, and so they 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 gave us another tranche of money, and then another tranche until we got up to about seventeen and a half million dollars. Wow! But that wasn't that wasn't the end of it, and that probably wasn't even the best part for us because Verizon was also doing concerts during the lockdown mm-hmm. with every one of those because they did them for eight weeks. And they got, you know, uh, they got Dave Matthews and they got Janelle Monet and all these great names to come and do free concerts. And were these live or virtual? They were live. Wow. Okay. Well, they were virtual. They were they were virtual. They they were actually done in the artist's home. Oh, cool. Because got everybody it. was on lockdown. Understood. So, yeah. So and they came through. They were on Twitter, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But you could be hanging out with Dave Matthews in his study or his den. Exactly. How Alicia Keys. Yeah. You know, it was amazing. Wow. And they, uh, with each one of those, they um they they were raising money for small businesses, and so you know the artist might say, "Who's their favorite restaurant?" or and as you were listening to the concert, if you texted in your favorite small business, they would they would add ten bucks for every tweet. There you go to the tiller, and then that's how it grew. So it grew, and then so but we were getting our name out there. And you talk about you know how can CDFIs and how, how does you know government how do government programs get better PR? That was a a great way for us to get PR. And in fact, we had a spot on the Super Bowl that year, 
Uh, you mean we being Verizon? Lisk. With, oh. During the post-game show, wow. yes, the MVP stood up and said, you know, pr- promoted uh, Lisk, that a contribution was going to Lisk. To support small businesses. So instead of I'm going to Disneyland after they win, you know, the old day they said I'm I'm going to give some money to Lisk. Nice, yes, nice it, branding. Yes, it was, yeah. and so that was how we leveraged uh, cor- the corporate relationship to get our name out there. And what we're doing now is they're sticking they're sticking with it, and I love this. The next version for them is um, an online community supporting small businesses through a program called Digital Ready. Yeah, um, and we're doing that with our partner Next Street. That is, we're building online community for small businesses, and it's a just-in-time kind of experience. It's not like your 12-week accelerator that runs from, you know, January through February mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you can come in at any time. There's uh, courses there. The curriculum is developed by other small businesses. Um, you can join peer-to-peer groups for support, um, and you can even apply for a grant at the end of wow. all that. Yes. Which sounds like what the SBA wants to do as well. And I'm not I'm not criticizing. I think probably to be perfectly blunt about it, your nimbleness and your entity's uh, freshness and the community feature of other small businesses helping out and your some of your public private partnerships sort of zeal that that's that's kicking in might actually be uh, more applicable to a small business's needs than some of the SBA programs, which sometimes can look a little dated. Yes. And also, um, let's just say that the SBA is not perfect in getting to stop. How dare you? Yeah. I mean, if you looked at the data, um, if you, you know, look at the data over time in terms of how small businesses are reaching uh, minority owned businesses, and you probably know this data is not good enough. It's not anywhere near good enough. And that's where organizations like mine can help. Well, the woman who is running the Small Business Administration now, a Biden appointee, uh, was the deputy chief of staff when I was yes. there, Isabella Guzman. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Yes. We work together. I, I, I think that, to your point, I believe that her alignment is is 100%, 100%. spot on with where we're talking. 100%. But speaking of alignment, um, let's go to Opportunity Zones, sure. OZs. Yeah. Uh, as a private investor, I'm seeing funds saying, hey, we're, you know, we're Opportunity Zone fund and we're doing this and we're doing that. And whenever I see that much private capital sort of suddenly aware of a government program, my radar, my my uh, cynical radar hits uh, hits max because it seems like, you know, some of these opportunity zones include places like Beverly Hills. I mean, I think I think there's some wacky stories of yes. OZs yeah. having edge opportunity that really wasn't the whole point. Right. What, what, what's your sense of the history of opportunity zone and kind of what they're trying to do versus maybe what's happening? I'm going to pitch a book that David Wessel just published called "Only the Rich Can Play." I think I love the title. <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great um, chronology of what happened. Um, the this program was designed in an unusual way, um, and Wessel tells the story about the role of Sean Parker and you know sort sort of Silicon Valley um, wealth, and there wasn't. Um, the, the program is not well designed to reach low-income people in places. Yeah. It, it is, it's, it's doing what it's designed to do. Um, but it's not, if you look at whether or not it's hitting our infrastructure that we've built through the community development financial um, investing, it's not hitting our world in the way that you would think it might. And that's because the incentives aren't there. 
So I have met Sean Parker. I do not know that person, but I watched The Social Network, the movie, and I am told that he it was correctly uh, correctly characterized by by the actor. So, yeah, Opportunity Zones are in some ways, I think, in my opinion, kind of the latest version of things that get a lot of capital but don't necessarily hit the mark. But let me, let me uh, talk about the end of our time together and hit you up with what I – do every time on this show when we have a guest, and that is magic wand moment, right? Yes. So if you ran the world, or maybe yes. just the U.S. for sure. a short period of time, yes. Is there one thing that you would sort of stop, be it state, local, federal regulation, law, behavior, structure that you would get rid of, and conversely, anything you would start up and add? Yeah. So I love this question, and what I would do is I would look to the CDFI fund as an example of how government can better fund communities. Okay. There's too much assumption, too many hurdles, and the the poorer the community is, the more the hurdles there are. Why is that? Um, what the CDFI fund does is it it gives money to organizations and it funds a business plan. And you come in with your business plan. It doesn't tell you what to do, what to fund, how to underwrite, none of that. And guess what? We leverage 12 times over on the federal dollar. Got it. And the money moves and we're getting impact. So I would say trust communities more, um, regulate less, and uh, let, let the money get to where it needs to go. Nicely done. You uh, you answered the Two sides of the bell curve question with, uh, with with an effort. CDFI's Community Development Financial Institutions, yes. an organization which I bet 80% of our listeners might not know anything about. But, Annie, it's something that I think your group at LISC, L-I-S-C, is doing a fantastic job doing. We're talking with Annie Donovan once again. She's the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of LISC, L-I-S-C. That stands for Local Initiative Support Corporation. It's been a dynamite conversation. Annie, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. I really enjoyed it. What's Working in Washington is brought to you by a very talented team. We have our executive producer and editor, Tracy Madigan. Assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. And the theme music you enjoy is performed by The Sunbathers. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. So thanks for listening. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. Many of our guests have come to us from others who say, hey, if your show's about people who are really getting things done in the region, you should really be talking to dot, dot, dot. And we love bringing those new voices to our audience. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for listening, and I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C. So once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. 